everyone. Welcome to Healthy Conversations podcast with your host, Nyasha B. Today, we've got an exciting and amazing episode. We were talking about building a resilient pharmaceutical workforce and also developing strong leadership skills. Today, I'm joined by a very renowned and well-accomplished guest within the industry. I'm absolutely honored to have her here. She has over 30 years experience in procurement and supply chain management, including 12 years at senior level. She also has experience in coordinating policy and also regulatory control of products. She's also an independent consultant right now, and she's the former director of pharmacy services at the Ministry of Health and Child Care. She's also a mother of grown children and a speaker and trainer at national, regional, and international level. So today we'll welcome Mrs. Roba Fadzaihove. Thank you very much for coming. Uh, thank you, Nyasha. It yes. is actually an honor to me, as I was telling you, that it's my birthday today. So this is a special birthday gift. <laughs> well done. Happy birthday. Thank you. I've been quite an exciting day. Always another year older, so I'm sure more wiser. Absolutely. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm sure you've also got a lot of knowledge just to share and give us. I think, you know, 30 years within the industry is a very long time. And I'm sure um, you've accomplished so much uh, then. So I'm sure you have also so much that you can share with us. So just tell us a bit more about just your background and how pharmacy has probably changed over the decades that you've seen through your lens. Indeed, 30 years is a long time. It is a lifetime. Uh, But it's amazing when one looks back to realize that, yes, it is 30 years. But... um, One starts at a certain level in pharmacy, as you know, after training, you are a pre-registration pharmacist, and I did that in hospital pharmacy. Um, Then I moved on to pharmaceutical wholesale dealing. Then uh, it was at government medical stores. It is now NACFA. I stayed there for some time, for seven years, and then left uh, to take on a position at the Medicines Control Authority of Zimbabwe for a period of more than 12 years. And then I was uh, promoted to become the Director of Pharmacy Services. So um, I would then say, if one looks at um, the journey as a pharmacy professional, then when we started, pre-registration training was supposed to happen in the public sector. And there were many uh, pharmacists in the public sector then. It was unheard of to have pre-registration training elsewhere because um, the obvious advantage is in the government uh, sector, one gets trained across all the um, uh, expected uh, uh, specialties. And one also gets exposed to mentors who are in the field uh, across the medical professionals. You have medical practitioners, you have nurses, uh, you have uh, psychologists, you also have radiographers. You have a plethora of professionals where you then are exposed. So you definitely would then be expected to know that you have a role within a team that is there. Um, Yes, then so gradually now, um, after the seven years at uh, NatFarm, now in the, um, uh, there there were plane loads that left for 
England. I'm sure some pharmacists <laughs> would know yeah. that at a certain time there were plane loads that left. Mm -hmm. And the plane loads of pharmacists were from the public sector, they were also from the private sector. And all of a sudden, we then realized I was still in the public sector. We realized that we didn't have any supervisors for pre-registration. So there was a policy change that had to happen in the pharmacist council to actually then uh, look around and designate uh, supervisors in the private sector. There was this also the aspect of introducing mandatory community service yes, so that, that, yes, and it was unpopular, mandatory community <laughs> service where uh, the young ones would be mandated to um, work in the public sector for a period so that, again, they will be trained. Yeah. The policy in itself was not a, a bad policy, but in terms of Mandate, mandating the young ones to play, to, to, to play that role made it unpopular. Uh, then uh, gradually, um, with the policy change of mandating um, community service in a designated health institution, initially a designated health institution was a public sector institution. It was. Yes, yeah. it was. Yeah. Uh, but, but then again, we no longer had sufficient mentors or supervisors. So again, Pharmacist Council uh, made a decision to designate um, private sector players uh, to be able to, uh, to, to, to take that role. So in essence, what I have noted from when I started way back in 1988 to uh, uh, the present uh, scenario, you now have a lot of young ones coming out uh, of uh, school and not getting sufficient mentoring because mm. the experts are no longer there. Mm -hmm. When we started, we had these large pool of mentors that would uh, be able to make sure that they uh, train you appropriately and then you are able to be on your own. So the landscape has changed. Yeah, I'm sure Yeah, it has. I think, uh, and I hope for the better. <laughs> would you say for, where is all for better? It's, it's mixed. It's, it's mixed. Okay. It's mixed. Where there are challenges, there are opportunities. Yes, definitely. Yes, there are opportunities. So the opportunities have been exploited, and I'm glad to say the policy environment still remains very strong, mm -hmm. and the institutions, the state institutions, still remain very strong in terms of the policy institutions, academic institutions, they still remain strong. Mm -hmm. So I, I want to believe that for yes. the better. Yes, yes. No, that's a good thing. So I think the main pillars, I think, within the industry, I think are still there. What has been your biggest motivation in terms of, you know, just service and giving yourself to the profession? Well, when I started, like I said, they were these uh, role models that you want to emulate. So it was these role models that enabled me to be able to then say, I want also to serve. Yeah. And then as I was serving, uh, being part of these strong teams, when I became a leader at the national level, I also now had the opportunity to say, I need now to train the leaders that are there from the basics, from the grassroots, to be able to rebuild, to be able to become strong again, mm -hmm. and as well as 
my biggest motivator was the support that I was getting mm -hmm. from all the sectors, yeah. be it uh, community pharmacy, be it regulatory pharmacy, policy level, manufacturing, academia, you name it. Yeah. I was receiving uh, a lot of support. Yeah. So that in itself made me realize that I had to serve in my generation. Yeah. I have to give service to the best of my ability. Yeah. And I think you've done a wonderful job I Thank think, over you. the years. And I think we really appreciate Even some of us who came into the industry, I think I've had about 12 years within the industry, I think we've seen you there. You've been visible, you've been present, and you have served. And which has been quite important. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes, I do appreciate that. Thank you. So I think looking at um, the whole landscape through the lens of your, uh, yourself and your experience that you have, mm -hmm. can you just share with us in terms of, um, I think some of the challenges that you've seen, I think through the evolution of pharmacy over the years, what are some of the, where are some of the biggest challenges that are there in the industry and what can we do to actually help change this and turn them into the opportunities? Uh, the biggest challenge has been this uh, issue of human resources yes. for pharmacy. Yes. Human capital has been a big challenge, starting with the uh, public sector, mm -hmm. where I still believe that's, that's where the largest population is. I yes. believe they yes. deserve to be served. They, um, they, they, they require uh, good quality service, but at the same time, one also wants to look at uh, the environment, the tools of the trade uh, that these young professionals will be coming into a system uh, that would be able to support them, for them to be able to deliver to the best of their ability. And then when, when you look even at the manufacturing industry, you look at academia, um, the skills flight affected all the sectors, oh, yes. Okay. So it, once you have skills flight from all the sectors, it takes a while to build up yeah. to a level where you can then say you have really addressed uh, the concerns of a particular uh, sector. So that, that's number one. Number two, you are looking at the policy and regulatory environment, which needs to be agile. They need to be ahead yes, uh, of, definitely. let's say, the manufacturing industry. You would then have our robust medicines control authority of Zimbabwe, the pharmacist uh, um, council of Zimbabwe, being quite robust institutions where they now required to be thinking on their toes. Like yeah. one time they are designating uh, public health institutions as uh, where you do your, uh, your, your, your community the service. service. The yeah. next mo morning, there are no supervisors. There are no supervisors, <laughs> yeah. are no supervisors. Yeah. yes. And yet they still need to safeguard the public. They yes. need to have professionals that have been well trained. Mm. So I saw that uh, it was quite a challenge, but I'm glad to say they really rose uh, to the expectation yeah. in terms of making sure that they uh, develop uh, guidance and they make sure that uh, they would be able to carry out yeah. their mandate. And Ms. Hoy, just from that uh, point before we just continue on that, how do we encourage more people to be present as supervisors? Because I think it was brought up, I think, in one of our episodes where we had two students here, and they were breaking down and, and highlighting the issue around, you know, supervision. It's, it's, it's a big one. Yeah. It, it was an issue where, um, again, looking at our robust uh, medicines regulator, the legislation requires continuous personal supervision. Mm -hmm. 
And there are quite a lot of pharmacies that were established during the time when we started and now. Um, so perhaps one maybe needs to challenge the pharmaceutical society, the professionals themselves, to say maybe is it a time to have joint practices maybe? Mm. For pharmacists, yes, not to have a standalone um, pharmacy so that you can have community pharmacy as a joint practice. You have more than uh, one um, uh, pharmacist that is there to provide uh, supervision. It's this aspect of um, uh, maybe we learn from our colleagues uh, from medicine where they now have uh, joint practices in you would have more um, professionals practicing from one practice so that one can then be able to take leave and enjoy family time yes. because in community pharmacy you would definitely like the hours are long they have long uh, practicing hours and one would then, you, you wonder the, the quality of the family time they have uh, because they have to be continuously uh, present. So it's, it's, it's a thought that um, has been placed on the table but perhaps it needs to be explored further to see if yeah. that could be a possibility yeah. for community pharmacy. For hospital yeah. pharmacy, obviously, they are there. There are a number of pharmacists that would be there operating. Yes. yes um, and they just need to be able to manage their schedule so that they can provide the supervision which is necessary for the newly qualified. Yeah. yeah. And I think just to add to that, perhaps this also ties back into the issue around even mentorship structures, standards of practice. We, when we're practicing as pharmacists, we should be also able to think about the future generation and what we're building tomorrow. So some of it does start with the young people and making sure that we build and ensure there's some sort of structure. So mentorship, I think, becomes quite important and even creating support structures for the younger ones. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is, it is crucial. And um, I, when I reflect back, when we started, it was unthinkable to leave a pharmacy without uh, a supervisor because that was the role model mm, that, that we received when we were trained. And also the support structure was uh, very strong in the sense that you would find perhaps there were fewer pharmacies then. I know, yeah. I can. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, much less than now. Yes. So, yeah. so, so, so you would find that people could cope and they would have a structure where even the way the promotion was done, you would be promoted from a junior pharmacist up to the then the senior level was uh, a principal pharmacist. It would take you okay. 12 years mm -hmm. in the system. So. 12 years for you to be trained thoroughly for, mm. so that you are able to know the implications of certain behavior yeah. and to know that you are not expected to be doing this because it's never done. It's ingrained, it's, it's inbuilt yes. because of the lo long time uh, where one is being trained. But of course, circumstances have changed. They have. <laughs> they have changed. Uh -huh. But uh, one still believes that uh, with us, the older ones, we owe it to our young ones to be able to uh, put together a support structure 
that can still instill those professional values that you need to then have as a, a pharmacist because mm -hmm. it, it is a calling, it is a profession, it is a calling, and there are certain things and certain uh, misdemeanors that are not expected of a professional. Yeah. So, so, but then um, it is that kind of uh, training or role uh, exposure that only comes from support from your seniors. Yes. But regrettably, there are seniors who, when they were growing up, were not exposed. They are now seniors. But when they were growing up, <laughs> they, they, they didn't have that exposure. Mm. So, so they are not good role models, not because they do not want to be, but that's what they learned. So you know? it's the system that <laughs> it has is. also, yes, I, I think also put them in a difficult position. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. So maybe they also learned maybe perhaps from poor supervisors or yes. then have the right mentors. Yes, yeah. yes, ab absolutely. But mm. I still believe that uh, we can redeem ourselves. Yes. yes. No, definitely. Yeah. And I think with that, it comes, there comes an opportunity. Perhaps people need to be capacitated, yes. whether it's an education side, whether it's yes. a training side, yes. maybe building a more robust program for supervisors to adhere to. Absolutely. And maybe hearing them out, that what exactly are the issues? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> then we start from there. Uh -huh. yeah. Well, um, in terms of the issues, one would like to then say, um, we want to train leaders across across the sectors, and we'll talk about leadership skills, key leadership skills. I actually was listening to a discussion in another group, a social uh, group, where they were saying now universities should be training uh, certain leadership schools, um, I mean skills, uh, and, and emphasize certain leadership schools at, at, at university. No, so, so, so that professionals, when they come out, they are already trained in a way that would be able to tackle challenges, mm. that would have agility to be able to realize that you need to adapt because yes. change will, is, is the constant here. Yeah. Change is constant. It is. And we need to think, be nimble and be able to adapt and yes. prepare, I think, our younger our new graduates yes. for the system that is there. Certainly. Because we've also now got some gaps, remember, even when it comes to supply chain yes. and even manufacturing. Yes. We, we should be doing a lot more, but uh, we, I guess we don't have the right, enough of the right skills, possibly. Precisely. Mm. Precisely. Yeah. 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 So perhaps you can just unpack a bit more about that type of challenge when, in terms of supply chain and how that affects access to medication. Yeah. That's a big one. I know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's, it's a big one. Because f for us as pharmacists, for us as pharmacists, we, our main role, not even as pharmacists, as health professionals, we are there for the patient to provide a service to the patient. And patients, when they are accessing health services, if they get excellent uh, diagnosis, uh, excellent uh, services in all the other sectors, and then they need a medicine, if they are prescribed a medicine. Yes, if definitely. they go away without the medicine, they will say that I have not really been 
treated. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So with that perception, you find that uh, in the national medicines policy, it outlines how, uh, how the importance of making sure uh, within the available resources, medicines should be made available. Yeah. So you look at supporting local manufacturers, supporting the supply chain, having uh, wholesale dealers that are there. As you are aware, the supply chain, you have manufacturers, you have wholesale dealers, and then you have uh, community pharmacies, and then you have uh, uh, hospital pharmacies uh, where they will then be dispensing uh, the medicines to the public. Yeah. So the main uh, challenges over the years has been uh, foreign currency, mm -hmm. but uh, the government has always prioritized um, the medicines to, to in, in terms of making sure that uh, foreign currency is available. And then the other area uh, has been the limited fiscal space, uh, which has resulted in um, the uh, a government receiving donations, which are most appreciated uh, donations that are specific for uh, areas that would have been identified and agreed to. Mm -hmm. uh, the downside uh, would then affect uh, the local manufacturers now mm -hmm. to then say uh, we no longer are able to then provide those commodities that are coming in as donations. And again, uh, government addressed that in coming up with a a limited list of medicines that would not be uh, imported, yeah. uh, but they are fully uh, locally uh, manufactured. But again, yeah. you have wholesale dealers saying, ah, that's being restrictive, and uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, there could be issues arising out of that. Um, so that in itself continues to be an area which uh, the... Uh, ministry is devoted to make sure that there is support mm. and you have the regulator making sure that those medicines that are in the essential medicines list of, uh, of Zimbabwe, they receive priority yeah. uh, as well as uh, NatFarm is supported to be able to bring in medicines that would be available uh, for the public sector and the private sector as well. So it is, it is an area that continues to, 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 to be advocated for so that at least the public would be able to access uh, medicines um, and, and, and have their, the medical conditions addressed no, satisfactorily. Definitely. Yes. I think I, I like how you unpacked all these various challenges and connected to the different sectors that are there. So from everything from your hospital pharmacy to your community to your regulators, your wholesalers and your manufacturers and this is all I think teamwork at the end of the day and I think we're working with people so HR is extremely important so paint a picture for us what sort of what is the future that you'd like to see when it comes to pharmacy and also healthcare service delivery because there's so many things that do need to change um, so how can you work towards a future where we build that up well I I cannot emphasize more to say that um, pharmacy is very broad. You have policy and regulatory, you have hospital pharmacy, you have community pharmacy, research pharmacy, manufacturing, wholesale dealing, as well as academia. We need leaders at each level. And we need uh, leaders 
that are able to have specific uh, key leadership skills. Definitely. I, I think, yeah, I think leadership, I think, forms the backbone of the type of structure and people that we want to see leading the future. Yeah. Absolutely. So one looks at um, a leader who will lead by example, being a role model for a team, a leader who will meet deadlines, not expect others to meet deadlines, but they will meet deadlines yeah. and they will also uh, exhibit integrity and positivity because there's a lot of negativity out there. <laughs> yes, yes, and it's infectious. Yes. So uh, we need a leader who will be positive, never mind about the challenges, uh, the, the problems that may present. If one is positive, they will be able to identify uh, opportunities. We also need a leader who uh, treasures self-development to an extent that you learning never ends. Like I'm very impressed yeah. with your idea of having this podcast. It's amazing. <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, yeah. it, it is. You, learning never ends. You want, the leader needs to set aside time to be able to learn maybe a new skill, uh, maybe a leadership role, um, maybe to learn how to motivate someone who is not easily motivated. Mm, yes, yeah. because definitely that, that is required. And uh, this can take any form now or any shape because you are looking at uh, virtual uh, learning now. Yeah. Yes. Um, and you also need a, a leader who is um, a teamwork, teamwork developer. Uh, with the ability to work with others to tackle complex problems together because we cannot just as pharmacists, plain pharmacists, we need leaders that will go in there and realize that they are going to face complex problems and because of that they need to have capacity as a team to tackle those problems. And then you also need to have within the team uh, because there will be a team leader, a senior team leader, and a junior team leader. A junior team leader who is able to be candid and point out to the senior uh, team leader uh, where things are not going right. Yes. And we need the senior team leader to realize that uh, this is about a team. It's not about me. It's not, I, I should not be taking it personally. Yes. yes, it is about the success of our team. That is why this junior team leader is pointing out that there are different ways of doing things. Yes. <laughs> no, no, I think that's quite important. And I, I like how you've mentioned that. It's almost, a, it's a two-way street. Yes. So you have to be also open in terms of, okay, what are the issues? What are the challenges? How can we help solve some of these issues? And part of it is also having skills such as empathy. Yes. Being able to understand and to relate what exactly are the challenges, what is going on, and being able to work as part of a team. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So uh, on empathy, it's also understanding the workload. Maybe 30 years, the workload was different. There was no HIV 30 years ago when yeah. we started. <laughs> so it's a different landscape <laughs> it now. Is. Yes. Uh -huh. It is. So uh, one needs to have that empathy to then uh, understand and recast and and be able to, to realize that uh, workplace relationships, you need to make an effort. There are two ways. 
mm. you need to make an effort as a junior, middle, senior, make an effort to have empathy so that you understand um, what uh, the other party is struggling with and put yourself in their shoes so that you are able to deliver as a team on the team objective. Um, the other area is ethical practice. I've already said I can never uh, underscore that. We are a profession, a, a proud profession. It's a calling and there are standards that are uh, expected of us to be dependable. Yes. If you say you are going to take up my locum hours, pitch up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, show up, at least be present and be there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's as simple as that. If you can't, then of course you can't. So, um, because at the various levels, when you are newly qualified, when you are in the middle, when you are a senior one, you still need to be ethical. Yeah. Yes, so one also then looks at emotional intelligence, the soft skills, they are very key. Yeah. It's a key uh, leadership skill that one would then need to have uh, so that uh, you are able to communicate, written, verbally, yeah. uh, public speaking. Uh, it's, 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 it's amazing that um, it, it, they are skills that are dying, but they remain very, very key. So, so I would just say, maybe uh, briefly, I would, I would then uh, think that um, one would then need to be looking at those uh, leadership skills uh, that should be imparted as we go through training. If we missed the training, like some of us, uh, we are now seniors, we then need to go back and be able to equip ourselves. Yes, no, definitely. And I like some of the points that you've highlighted and mentioned. I think professionalism is absolutely key. Things mm -hmm. like integrity, very key, and making sure that we instill good values, whether it's, I think, to the young ones or even how we also present ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I think there's quite a lot to be learned in terms of leadership. What would you say is your type of leadership style and your key qualities that you've had? Well, I would say, um, well, let me say the feedback that I have received, because sometimes you think you are this, and yet when you are assessed, you find that you are actually uh, to the opposite. I would say uh, transformational leadership as well as servant leadership. Um, although I must say, sometimes it changes. There are situations that can call for autocratic uh, leadership style, mm. yes, but uh, I, the feedback that largely that I have received is uh, transformational and servant oh. leadership. <laughs> nice, that's lovely. <laughs> I think we see some of those qualities. And I think it's important so that we make sure that we instill some of these in our profession. You mentioned some of the challenges that do need to be addressed and saying that these are also opportunities. So I hope that uh, going forward, our profession can also heed the call from, I think, our fellow colleagues and just to say, okay, let me improve here. And sometimes if, it's also asked for feedback. Get feedback from your community and fraternity and then see which areas that you need to also improve on. There's also a lot of CPD, the continued professional development, the CMEs that are also there, and you can find ways to improve your own skill set. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Feedback, 
Feedback is uh, very, very important uh, in terms of how you come through. Uh, there are also tools that are available that can be used for you to be able to assess. Self-awareness is very uh, key, particularly at senior level, where you then um, are able to then determine how you are able to engage uh, with the other levels. I would also think that um, one would look at uh, this aspect of us needing each other. Definitely. We need each other. Yes. <laughs> and people underestimate that one. We need each other as uh, pharmacy professionals in the various subsectors. And then we need each other in the medical fraternity. We cannot do it alone because we are saving the patient and everyone has a role. And it is not about competing, uh, outdoing each other. It's actually supposed to be complementary. Yeah, so I also see this in your podcast. I see various guests coming in with different perspectives and I'm thinking, hmm, Nyasha has nailed it. So um, one also looks at... Uh, even other sectors like marketing, law, and business, it's, it's certain aspects that uh, one would then need to then build a team which cuts across uh, sectors so that you are able to utilize your expertise, but if you're uh, in a team with a, another um, a person who has other expertise, you will be a formidable team. Mm, no, that's true. Yes. Yes, yes and um, I talked about earlier that um, you, some universities now are looking at recruiting uh, students so that um, they want to demonstrate analytical decision-making skills as well as creative problem-solving skills. One, one, one then looks at um, uh, now the academic institutions are also changing in the way that they are uh, looking at potential students because business has changed. Yes. Pharmacy has changed. So we, we need to change. Yeah, we uh, need the analytics. Absolutely, yes. absolutely. And I think that brings a point to uh, data and information. That is also quite key. Even yes, -making. absolutely. And it's an area where we are not very strong. We definitely need as a profession to be able to have the evidence, to have the research capability and the willingness to avail the information. Government would need uh, that information to be able to make uh, decision policy decisions. I remember in my previous life requesting for certain information, which I thought was innocuous, but the response that I got was, "Oh, this is um, this is uh, confidential information. It's market information, which is is very um, key." And yet, in other sectors, in other countries. They have that information, but they avail that information for a fee because they will have worked to put together that information. So I think it's a gap that we have in our, uh, in our sector to be able to have uh, information like what is the market size, yes, and if you wanted to set up a pharmacy business, what is it that is required, where, which doors do you have to knock, et cetera, et cetera. If that information is together somewhere, um, if an investor wants to come in, then you refer uh, that investor to that particular 
uh, source, and then they will be able to make a decision based on information that is valid, that has been provided by the experts in the area. Exactly. So perhaps this is an opportunity, and now yes. we're an independent consultant. Yes. <laughs> you never know. Maybe we'll find you in that area. But I, I cannot do it alone. You can't do yes, it alone. Yes, I can't do it alone. It, it, it is a big area, yeah. and um, practice from other countries shows that it is an organization that is put together with different expertise, mm -hmm. so that when you have that information, it is robust information, because when you have um, statistics that can be challenged, then you, you will not find any users uh, for that kind of information. Yes. yes, and I like how you just highlight that. I think that sort of information can also help us build. Absolutely. I mean, there shouldn't be a big line between, honestly, public sector and private sector. Yes. We're there to accommodate the healthcare needs of the population. Absolutely. So it's important to put our heads together, even as just professionals. Yes, so that we improve the health of the population. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you, you are quite right, uh, Nyasha. We are a team. We have different roles and we have different capabilities. We have different expertise and we are serving the patient. Yeah. Yes, and we are not competing. We are there to complement one another. Mm, yes, <laughs> I think so. And uh, definitely, I think at the end of the day, we can learn a lot from each other. And even, I think, right now, the technology has also improved everywhere. So I think we also need to take advantage of how other nations have also built and improved their systems and even see how can we leverage the people who are in the country here and see how we can better put them to use and so that we can help each other. Yes, one needs to be tech-savvy, definitely. <laughs> that is where the intergenerational bit comes in, that we need each other intergenerationally. The young ones are very tech-savvy, and they are able to find solutions that can address uh, certain uh, challenges that we are facing. It could be project management systems, it can be industry-specific technologies. Uh, we need our industries to then research and come up with new molecules. It can be computer languages. Uh, I, I, I can name, uh, I, the, the list is endless. So, so that, that that really is a big opportunity mm, so for, for us as, no, as definitely. yes. And I think there's a lot more interest. I think the more we also open up, um, besides just talking about issues of pharma and healthcare amongst ourselves, it's also good to have some of these conversations because you never know who else is looking on the other end and say, oh, okay, I'm in IT, I've got a, a, a skill or I can help with this solution. And they come to the industry and also help support. You, you are quite right. Definitely we need to uh, open up and we need to acknowledge that with technology, there are solutions that can be provided for the challenges that we are facing. No, definitely, and yes. on a mass scale. Absolutely. Yes. All right, no, thank you so much, I think, just for highlighting that. But unfortunately, look, our time is unfortunately running out, so we will have to round up. But there's just a few questions that I would just like to ask you. So what is up next for yourself? I mean, you've had an amazing, I think, 30 years already in your career. It's your birthday today, and happy birthday. Thank but you. what is coming up next? Um, you are uh, doing some speaking engagements. You are doing training. What else is up next for you? Well, I find that it's a, a, a tough learning curve. So I'm still learning. <laughs> I can, I'm not venturing further than where I am now. But who knows? Invite me for another podcast, and I will tell you there are other things that are happening. Um, nice. Yes, but uh, what I can say is, for me to be where I am today, 
I really want to applaud my family uh, who have been supporting me because it has been hectic in the last 30 years. And as a calling, it is myself who has been called, not the family, <laughs> but <laughs> they support you to be able to deliver on your calling. And they have been doing that. My husband, Stuart, and uh, three children initially, a boy, Temba, nice. Melissa, and Gugu, the daughters. Temba recently got married. Oh, so nice. they, Yeah, <laughs> so I am now a mother of, uh, I was a mother of the groom uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Nice. And my uh, daughter in love is called Letu. So nice. they are now four. No, nice. The family is growing. The family is growing indeed. Nice. Family is growing. No, that's lovely. No, but thank you so much and really appreciate you. It's a pleasure. Coming, yes, for coming on to the podcast. And uh, just to round up, I just wanted to talk about, you've left also a big heritage, I think, in terms of uh, the industry. And I think the work that you've done, I think, in terms of the profession, from everything with regulatory policy, supply chain management, I think there's a lot to be said there. So would you have any parting words, perhaps, for even other, your fellow colleagues and even the general public at large when it comes to, you know, healthcare? I would say... Uh, the pharmacy profession requires dedication and it is a sacrifice which requires professionalism in irrespective of the challenges you would be writing your own story so you want to be able to reflect and leave a legacy that would last when you leave because leaving you definitely would leave at some point to, to, to do other things so uh, one really requires to have uh, professionalism and integrity always definitely yes and yeah I think there you have it I think a lot of our guests I think have heard that and they've listened and I hope we see a lot more changes I think as we go on with the profession and I think thank you very much I think for your kind words I think to the industry and we'll see what changes uh, come about in the next few years Thank you. Thank you very much, Nasha. Okay. All the best. Okay. Thank you very much, everyone, for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. Um, so tune in every week for new episodes, and thank you very much once again for tuning in.